Time for Baldry's Beat. Keith Baldry, Global News Legislative Bureau Chief. Morning, Keeth. I'm back. You're back. You're back. And along with you. Yeah, we've both had a little break here, and uh, but we're back at it. And there's lots to talk about here. I, I'm, in August, there's stuff to talk about. The, even you know, and I really want to get your take on these raccoon attacks in Kitsilano. <laughs> we'll save that to That's the end. That's the big one. We'll save this to the end. Someone said, well, they're feeding the raccoons. That's why they're behaving like this. And what are they feeding them? We'll get to that. Steroids? What's going on? <laughs> okay, but let's start with something else, though, right now. And um, the aftermath of the Vancouver port strike. And you, in your latest column, you write about labor unrest in mm-hmm. British Columbia. This port strike, what did they have to take? It took three, three attempts to settle this thing. There were three settlements at one point. Yeah, and it came down to basically one line that basically hopefully resolves the thorny issue of contracting out maintenance work. And so it's going to allow the union to upgrade their skills of their members, or members of the union to upgrade their skills so they can successfully be awarded some of the maintenance work. And that player's, employer's argument was you don't have the skill set to repair a rail line or to pave a port. Yeah. Now they're going to give them the opportunity to um, acquire those skills and do the work. And that seemed to be the, that was the only line that was inserted in the contract that wasn't there before, the last two swings at the bat. Um, and again, it wasn't about wages, it wasn't about uh, even automation. It came down to contracting out, which we sort of flagged as the big issue all along. But it does, um, you know, my, my column, others have pointed out, the, the number of strikes and work stoppages have been significantly higher in Canada and in B.C. than for the first time probably in decades. You go back to the 1980s because the issue that's on the table that's never been there for years is cost of living. Yeah. Because for years when the cost of living was 1% or 2 or 3% a year, you aren't going to get too excited about it one way or another at the bargaining table. You yeah. know, people were, unions were walking away, and non-union employees with 2% a year, and no one got too exercised about that. But when cost of living was hitting 7%, yeah. and your food bill was even higher than that, well, that suddenly colored contract talks in a way we've yeah. never seen before. And that's why you're seeing disruption. That's why I had a protracted, a record-long transit to strikes on yeah. bus driver strike on Sea yeah. to Sky, uh, Fraser Valley. You've got a protracted hotel worker strike in Richmond that threatens to spread to Vancouver hotels. Uh, in uh, Ontario right now, you've got uh, a major grocery chain behind picket lines. Yeah. South of the border, already 350,000 workers have gone on strike in the United States so far this year. Uh, L.A. Work, civic workers, 24-hour workout. Uh, nurses in Minis- and firefighters in Minnesota are walking off. And then you've got 150,000 auto workers poised to go on strike later this fall. So Don't forget those TV and movie workers on strike. And, and, that, and that has an effect here. A lot of people might think like, oh, that's not a big deal. Well, I have that's family members affected by that. Thousands because they of workers. Get, they get work from the film industry yeah. in Vancouver and it's yeah. not happening. So yeah, there's a spillover effect there. Yeah. And a number of labor analysts have pointed out there, once you, once you see a growing number of strikes, it just seems to create some almost a domino effect yeah. where you see others saying, well, you know, I'm willing to, to walk out as well. The other thing is uh, the, the workforce demographics have changed. It's no longer dominated by the baby boomers who would take a job in a mill or whatever early on, and that was their job for life. Yeah. Now you see, and even see it personally, um, millennials and Generation Z are much more mobile. Sure. They don't hang on to jobs necessarily if they if they don't think they're being treated properly or uh, fairly compensated, they say, ah, I'm, I'm out of here. Yeah. 
And you're seeing that uh, and willingness to hit the bricks with a picket line as well. So there's a there's a willingness to walk away that wasn't there before, and that's leading to some disruption as well. The aftermath of the port strike has a lot of people saying, like, this was brutal, and it's going to take months to recover after this prolonged shutdown. And a lot of people saying, we can't, we can't go through this again, and there should be changes to prevent it from happening again. Let's listen to Anita Huberman here, president of the Surrey Board of Trade, on that sure that the federal government steps in quickly next time should this happen. It has to be early because you can see our economy nationally and our global economic impact has already been compromised. Do you think they could bring in some changes to prevent it again? Well, like, there's been some calls to make the ports an essential service, for example. Not well, allowed to go on strike. There's already an essential service component there. Grain, for example, mm-hmm. is an essential shipment. It, it, grain was never stopped. You still had okay. to process couple of things. Supreme Court of Canada and a couple of rulings, one is based in Saskatchewan, one here in B.C., have made it clear that unions have a right to collective bargaining. So this call for a government to instantly intervene is not going to be go over well with the Supreme Court of Canada. There's rulings. The government just can't move suddenly and ends. You can't rip up contracts and you can't walk in and suspend a right to collective bargaining. So you have to be mindful of that. Now, there are um, calls through the strike that, whoa, this is... You know, it had such economic havoc that far, so far reaching because, again, the container ships contain everything we use and trade, the supply line was choked. Yeah. So some of the calls have been amend legislation to expand the number of goods that are under essential service designation, right. not just grain or I think in some cases coal. Um, there was calls, for example, whole shipments of pork basically expired because yeah. the they just couldn't be refrigerated. And so food was basically going to waste. So do you include food as an essential service? Do you include other items as essential services? Or do you just suddenly uh, try to make a law that you just cannot go on strike? But again, I don't think that would be upheld at the Supreme Court of Canada. Okay, let's talk about the, the federal conservative leader, Pierre Polyev, here up, up, up ahead in some recent opinion polls here, uh, pulling ahead of Trudeau. And Polyev clearly trying to do a makeover here, mm-hmm. soften his image. The glasses are gone, right? So he's not wearing the glasses anymore. You see him more in jeans and T-shirts around, sunglasses. So here's Polyev. Polyev was asked about this. What happened to his glasses? Here's what he says. My wife says I look better without glasses, so I have to keep her happy, first and foremost. Whether I or not I wear glasses, I have the best vision for the country. Okay. So not a bad little turnaround. He anticipated the question. Hey, it's working for him. You, you think know, so? I think so. I, yeah. You and I have talked before about how you've got to, he's got to lower the tone, Yeah. Um, be less of this relentlessly negative, harsh critic, and basically uh, get out of the way. Yeah. Old political adage is if a government's falling, the best thing an opposition can do is just get out of the way. Shut up and get out of the way. Shut up. And I learned that in, under the Socreds and when they were falling, old NDP hand Mark Rose says, we're going to follow this rule that when the government's falling, we just get out of the way. Yeah. Uh, let them fall. And so a number of polls, Nanos, um, Abacus, Ecos, show the gap between the conservatives and the liberals are, is widening. And it's working for Polyev. In fact, there's a couple polls that show he's, he started, seems to be on a bit of a comeback with women voters, mm. which is critical. Yep. if he wants to win the next election. So I think this new approach of Polyev is working. You don't hear him out there every day with these sharp one-liners about j- just inflation. Yep. Although I invite readers, uh, people, listeners, to pick up the Globe Mail today and read Andrew Coyne's column. It's very yep. funny. He claim, you know, he pretends he has his, his um, 
He's grabbed the outtakes of some of the scripts of the commercials the conservatives are running. It's Poliev being nice, and then but cannot help himself at the end of getting into just inflation. Just, Justin Trudeau and the director has to yell cut every time. Like, where is this coming from? <laughs> so, again, it's, it's a very funny piece. But it also speaks to, can he keep this up? Can, can Poliev keep up the softer image, or will he succumb to the old ways which I don't think uh, would serve him well. But right now, it's working for him. For I sure. just wonder how convincing it'll be for voters long-term as we get closer to an election. I've seen this before, right? Like, I remember Gordon Campbell suddenly putting on a plaid shirt and trying Strumming to look... Playing a guitar. Playing a guitar, trying to look less House Street. Yeah. Um, you know, people, you say Preston Manning, when he was the leader of the Federal Reform Party, looked like an owl. And so he got, rid, he got rid of his glasses. He did a makeover. Pull a Stockwell Day and... Get on a uh, on a sea do yeah, and a wetsuit to a news conference. Yeah, as long as you avoid stuff like that. Well, you see, the th- the line of attack from Trudeau though is going to be that don't be fooled by any kind of superficial makeover. Let's talk policy here. And what this guy is going to do is cut. He's going to cut government spending. He's going to cut services to families in Canada. And so what I think most Canadians are wanting to hear is want to hear some policy discussion from yeah. the guy if he's yeah. prime minister and he forms government. I think there's every reason to assume that Polyevin will come up with some policies that will be discussed. The debate will be interesting. But again, a lot of stuff comes down to image yeah. and just yeah. gut feeling of how, what you think about a guy. And I think he's making a bright move here. Okay, let's talk about the, the raccoons. The raccoons. Okay, so this happened, this happened last week. You had a th- three raccoons. This is kind of a tag team raccoon attack here. In Kitsilano, same day, attacks on two different people with their dogs. Let's listen to Jake Moss here. Uh, he was attacked by these raccoons along with his dog, Pingu. And you'll hear Global News reporter Grace Key here, too. We heard a sound in the bush, and I looked over, and I saw two large raccoons crouching right there, staring right at my dog. Every time one would grab them, I would pick him up and throw him. I would kick them, and... It was just a tag team, and then a third raccoon joined in. Pingu lost an eye in the attack, and Jake was given antibiotics and a tetanus shot for his injuries. This is serious. This poor dog lost an eye. This guy had to get a rabies shot. Raccoons can be vicious creatures. I mean, you know, um, they look cute, mass bandits, that sort of thing. But when I walk my dog at night, I avoid raccoons. If I see one walk across the other side of the street, I've got friends who've lost cats. To raccoons, mm. they can be, they just rip small creatures apart. So, yeah. yeah, avoid raccoons. They're not friendly creatures. Yeah, we lost a cat, too. I remember when I was a kid. It was an outdoor cat, and he used to disappear, sometimes a bit of a tomcat. He'd come back after a few days, kind of beat up, and we figured, yeah, I, I think there's been some raccoon action here with with our cat. Yeah, and don't he got beat them. up pretty bad. Don't feed them. Don't, don't, don't feed them, yeah. Accommodate them. Just uh, Why would you them. feed a trash panda? Like, yeah. Wh- why would someone do that? We've got raccoons in our backyard that raid our strawberry patch. Mm-hmm. We just get out of the way. Yeah. Good policy. Phone lines are open. Star 9898 on your cell. Chris and Squamish. Hi, hi, Chris. Go ahead. Yeah, I'd like to make a little comment about uh, Pierre Polyev about uh, changing his image. Sure. Um, I find it quite funny that uh, they think that, the, well, I guess it's working a little bit, that people can uh, judge a guy because he changed the color of his suit from black to white and uh, think that that's going to uh, uh, change who he really is because we know who he really is. And uh, and if people are that silly to fall for something as silly as that, well, we're in trouble. 
Well, do, thanks for the call. Do people really know who he is, though? Because well, when you do some of the polling that shows people have a, basically 100% recognizability for Trudeau, but if you ask them who's Polyev, a lot of people don't know. That's right. So he's... I, I don't think he's been defined yet. Right. People right. don't pay attention in great detail yeah. to politics uh, to that level, you know, between elections. Yeah. It's only when we get closer to an election, people start paying attention. The ads start appearing. The media is more covering it. Uh, between it's less, the public's a little more tuned out. So that's why opposition leaders have a hard time being recognized between like, like right now, relatively few people know who Kevin Falcon is. Right, sure. And, and that's the same right across the country. Yeah. The person who gets all the attention is the government, sure. who's ever leading the government. Yeah. People know who Justin Trudeau is. They've got an opinion of him. Right now it's a fairly negative opinion, and I'm sure there's much prospect of that getting of that changing. But Poliev has a chance to go up or go down. And, and like think, you said, defining himself. He wants to define himself before yeah. the op, before his opponent defines him. Yeah, before. the opponents are going to try to define him as the pro-truck convoy, the really right-wing guy. But, yeah. you know... And, you know, that's what I think they're going to try to do. But it's less successful, I think, um, at a time when people are paying attention to a much greater degree when they weren't paying attention. And that's to Poliev's advantage. Sharon in Burnaby. Hi, Sharon. Go ahead. Well, I'm basically reiterating what the fellow in Abbotsford said. I mean, if they feel a change of a T-shirt or to our shirt to a T-shirt and taking glasses off is going to change my opinion, he has not come out with any major policy statements other than possibly uh, making some drastic changes with regards to how much money is being spent by government. But yeah. people have to realize if that's the case, then they might be one of the people who are going to be affected by this. And, yeah. you know, they get caught up in the hype and they don't really dig in depth to the characters of their politicians. It's all flash in the pan. And that's what I'm worried about is that people tend to vote on the surface shallow stuff they really don't dig into their politicians in depth, and we still haven't heard any major policies from this guy other than everything's Justin's fault. So yeah. I'm sorry, but um, people need to wake up and stop voting for what's easiest and really start digging in depth, or they're going to get what they deserve. Thank you. Good call. Yeah, no, good points. Um, again, I don't think most people vote, dive, take a deep dive into a, a political party's campaign platform. You know, one or two issues maybe they take a look at. And even that's rare to have an election turn on a single issue. And a lot of it is about personality and leaders' personality, the gut, the gut feelings you have about leaders. And, again, I don't think a lot of people have paid attention too much uh, the last couple of years. They will pay attention as we get closer to the next vote. Um, and it's not incumbent upon an opposition party to lay out all their policies this far ahead of an election. You know, why do that? You wait until people are paying attention. And that's when the pressure is going to be on Poliev to provide a different type of leadership, different type of aspirational goals than Justin Trudeau. And opposition parties do that all the time. No reason to suspect that he won't do it this time. Mike and Vernon. Hi, Mike. Go ahead. Morning, guys. How are you doing today? Good. Um, excellent. Uh, so interesting, Keith, you were talking about policies and what have you. So what we're seeing is uh, Polyev's popularity and rise in the polls probably has nothing to do with changing his image or anything else. I don't think most people are paying attention to that. But I think what's happening more than anything else is we're seeing what's happening with the liberal policies and the effect it has on us. We had inflation, rising interest, uh, fuel costs, housing, mm -hmm. um, those sort of things. Those policies are coming home to roost, and I think what's happening is now people are taking a a second look and realizing these policies are failing us. 
Thank you. 30 seconds. Yeah, those are the issues that are working against the Liberal government. Uh, Inflation, cost of living, housing, any government. It's hard to... What's interesting, the NDP in B.C. is getting failing grades right across the board when it comes to those issues. Yet, when they're asked who you vote for, the NDP comes out almost two to one over the opposition. The difference in Ottawa is the Trudeau, the Liberal brand, has been tarnished because it's been in power for so long. It's hard for them to get under this increasingly weighty rock.